What I'd like to talk about this evening is a spirit of freedom. Now, meditation does, it seems, mean different things to different people. For one person, meditation is about devotion, about opening the heart. For another person, they would say that meditation for them is surrender. Yet someone else might say, well, meditation is concentration, about cultivating precision and focus. Someone else may say that for them, meditation is a path of connection or healing. The words that we use to describe meditation don't necessarily describe meditation, but more describe what we want from meditation. We do often come to meditation in a state of wanting, consciously or unconsciously, seeking for something that we feel is missing or incomplete or unfulfilled. And we seek to find that through meditation. Our wants always create expectation on some level. Our expectations revolve around what we feel to be missing. Through our wants and the words that we use to describe meditation, we also attempt to make something static out of meditation. Meditation becomes a technique or a practice or a form or a state, but our words do make meditation into a path of experience because our wants are perceived as something that can be gained that is missing right now, something that we will find through experience. It is very important not to underestimate the relentless desire of the mind in seeking for solidity and substantiality and predictability. And that desire is transferred to meditation. The inclination of the longing of the mind to define, to describe, to compartmentalize, to categorize, to form images. This is the way that the mind makes sense of the world and brings order into chaos. This is the way that we find ourselves trying to make things tangible to us because this is also the way that we gain security. We see many times the panic and the anxiety and the fear that arises in the face of the intangible, in the face of that which is unfamiliar to us, and in the face of that which we have no label for. We also try to do this, of course, in meditation, to make it something solid. If we can make something solid out of meditation, it satisfies our desire 
to have a purpose, to have an objective, to be able to say, this is what meditation is. I know it. Now, of course, it is somewhat incorrect to say that it is the mind that seeks for solidity and does all these things. In a way, the mind expresses the longings and the yearnings of the self. In a way, the mind makes visible our beliefs and the craving of the self for survival. The mind is only the vehicle through which this craving for survival is expressed. The mind, of course, is not an enemy. The mind is not an opponent that is filled with these rather nasty urges to make the world solid. The self, the sense of ourselves, desiring for solidity, seeking for the solidity, is actually the only way that the self can actually feel content within meditation by making it into something definable, by making it into an object. Because as soon as we have made meditation into an object, then we can have a relationship with it. The self then has a relationship with what we do. We are able to say and explain to ourselves and to the world, this is what I do, this is what I look for, this is what I seek, this is what I practice, this is what I develop, this is what I try and perfect or refine or improve. We have created a certain boundary around meditation. When there isn't that relationship to meditation made through making an object out of meditation, then the self has no identity within meditation. The meditator wonders what to do. The meditator needs meditation in order to have something to do. Without it, this exploration becomes a place of great insecurity. Now, the moment, of course, that we do put a label on meditation and place it in a box, then meditation also exists in relationship to the meditator, which is me in a more enlightened form. (laughs) But the moment that we put the labels and the boxes around meditation, we are actually acting in a way that is contrary to a meditative spirit. We are actually being in a way which is somewhat contrary to a spirit of freedom. We are trying to make something solid out of that which has no solidity. Trying even to compartmentalize something which has no boundaries. Can we accept that the heart of the meditative path and the heart of the spiritual journey is actually to understand what it means to be free? Everything that we do in terms of images and models and definitions is really an attempt to restrict freedom. 
Meditation really has very little to do with any of these words. A meditative spirit, a spirit of freedom, actually has very little to do with any of these words of development or improvement or progress. Sometimes they may be valid in terms of suggesting certain possibilities to us. But a meditative spirit in its truest sense cannot be placed within the boundaries of any word. Meditation is not about experience. To follow the path of experience is actually to follow the path of limitation and restriction. We all know the nature of experience. They have beginnings and they have endings. They are made to happen by someone or they happen to someone. There is always someone at the center of experience to know it and to possess it or to attempt to deny it. Limitation and restriction is actually the nature of experience. To begin to seek for any kind of experience in meditation is not to cultivate a spirit of freedom, but a spirit of limitation. We see this happen time and time again within our practice. Trying to recover an experience that has already gone by. Maybe in the last sitting you had something you called a good experience. How innocent are you in the sitting that follows? Or how much do we seek for its recovery? How much do we try to repeat something in the future, what we have clung to in the past? What is it for? How many times do we try to make something happen? I really want to have a peaceful experience. I really want to have a calm experience. I really want to have uh, an experience of contentment. Who is doing the wanting? Who is going to be satisfied by that experience? The meditator is going to be satisfied. The self will be satisfied. I feel it actually takes an extraordinarily radical leap of consciousness to be willing to open our hearts in a way in which we simply lose interest in experience. And instead, cultivate within ourselves a passion for freedom. Now, it takes a radical leap in consciousness because all that I actually know is experience. I is mostly and primarily interested in replacing unpleasant experiences with pleasant experiences. Now, as we deepen in meditation, or as our meditation does go through some changes, we do experience, you know, different levels of calm and serenity and tranquility. These are still experiences. It requires, I think, a great maturity of insight to be willing to relinquish and abandon attachment to all forms of experience, to explore what it means, actually, to live with a meditative spirit, 
to explore what it means in every moment to live in a spirit of freedom. Now, spirituality and the spirit of freedom is not something that is confined to sitting on a meditation cushion. It's not something that is confined to a particular place or time or any particular content in our consciousness. To truly live our lives in every moment in a way in which we honor the spirit of freedom, to be simply awake, simply aware, is one of the greatest challenges in our lives. Sometimes it seems much both more interesting and more enticing to explore the realm of experience. Sometimes we're not always willing to recognize the limits of experience. We think, well, if I had just a bit more, just a bit more calmness, or a bit more happiness, or a bit more concentration, or you know, just a, a little bit more uh, sensitivity, then I'm willing to let go of experience. There always seems to need just a little bit more. This is because this is the way, experience is the way in which we're able to measure ourselves. You have noticed probably the presence of the commentator in meditation. <laughs> that little voice, that sometimes very loud inner voice, that has a little bit and a lot to say about pretty well everything. Sometimes the commentator in meditation, the way that it's talked about, it, it makes me think that, you know, perhaps people are walking around in their minds, you know, with one of these kind of people who are at sports matches, you know, who, you know, fill every moment, you know, who have a, a job to fill every moment up, you know, with a commentary on what's going on. You know, now they're running the ball to the left and now it's going forward 10 feet, you know, and someone's <laughs> dropped it and now it's a throw. And certainly the way some people talk is this is what is happening in their meditation. Now, the commentator, of course, is very uncomfortable, but it's serving a function. It is serving a function of providing security. It is serving the function of compartmentalizing our moments, the flow of our moments into compartments. Good, bad, better, worse, more concentrated, less concentrated, more restless, more content. There is always this evaluation going on. The commentator is a craving of the self for safety finding it through its labels and through its judgments. It doesn't need rest. This is a remarkable thing about the commentator. <laughs> Everything else about us needs to rest, but not the commentator. Remarkably fueled by endless energy, going through our days and through our nights, through our waking moments and through our dreams, there is the commentator making sure that everything's all right in our world, that everything is safe and it's okay to be here. That safety is found through our labels and our judgments. 
Our judgments of our experience, of course, is correspondingly our judgment of ourselves. You have probably noticed this. I, it's very rare to meet someone who can come in and say, you know, I just had the most terrible, wretched meditation, but I'm doing just fine. You know, I'm just absolutely terrific. You know, my meditation's the pits, but I'm just shining. This is not actually usually what happens. Usually what happens is what is then said is, of course, you know, I'm having a wretched meditation, and I am such a wretched meditator. And we desire to jump from being a wretched meditator to a good meditator because it looks a lot more flattering. We long to jump from that which we condemn or evaluate as being imperfect to excellence because this is the point we hope when we will be able at last to offer ourselves some praise and some positive feedback. Now, the judgment of our content is the judgment of ourselves. This is a wonderful teaching if we can be aware of this. We become awake in that moment to the nature of the subject-object interdependence. That the subject is not separate from the object and the object is not separate from the subject. You cannot separate the thought from the thinker. You cannot separate the, the sound from the listener. You cannot separate the judgment from the judge. The world of objects is not separate from the world of I. There is much to be learned in this teaching. There's much to be learned in this understanding. Sometimes a habit arises of being caught instead in our judgments and in our commentaries and in our dualities, creating in that a world of hierarchies and prejudice in our meditation and in all things. It is only because we are caught in our judgment that we have any idea at all of progress and failure, of depth or superficiality, of being better or worse, what do these words actually mean? What do they have to do at all with freedom? The words attempt certainly to give satisfaction to the meditator and a way of evaluation. They have little to do with freedom. They have much to do with self-image. Is this what we come to the spiritual path for? to have a more refined and more polished self-image so that we could leave a retreat, a more polished personality with some less bad karma and some more merit that we could feel better about ourselves. We so easily get hooked into our judgments and getting hooked into our judgments means getting hooked into time. We think, I used to be like this. I used to be like this. Now I'm a little better. And in the future, I hope I will be better still. We are bound then to time. Our judgments and our words, when we are hooked into them, give not only solidity but also continuity, not only to self, 
but also to limitation. They have little to do with freedom. The words are the craving of the self for identity and certainty. We need to learn the art of letting those words just flow through our consciousness. Just as we let the sound of the wind, the song of a bird, just flow through our consciousness, we too must learn the art of not investing so much truth in our words and in our concepts and in our judgments. What would happen if there was no hook to those words? What would happen if we had no ideas whatsoever of progress or regression? What would happen if we had no standards whatsoever of what is a good meditation and what is a bad meditation? This is a fairly revolutionary idea, perhaps, to have no idea of a good meditation or a bad meditation. I know that we all the time say that there's no such thing as a good meditation or a bad meditation. I also know that most people secretly believe that there is and that they know really well the difference between the two. It is just something that we don't talk about so much. What would happen if we had no idea at all of what should happen when we sit in a cushion? Where would we rest if we did not rest in our judgments? Where would we rest if we did not rest in our ideas or our images or our concepts? To understand that when we are hooked into our judgments, the next step is to be hooked into our conclusions about who we are, about who others are. Our conclusions tell us what we need to do. Our conclusions command us, and our conclusions are based upon our judgments. Our conclusions tell us what we need to get better at and what we need to get rid of. But those conclusions, and many times the actions that are born of them, are never a measure of freedom. Our conclusions can only tell us about what is known and what is limited, and never what is unknown. No experience, no model, no spiritual image can ever be a measurement of a quality of inner freedom. Insight is not something that can be measured. This journey is not a path of greater improvement and bettering ourselves. It is a teaching that asks us to look at what is right now, what is before us, what is around us, what is, with, what is within us. To ask of ourselves in a very profound way, where do we live in a spirit of freedom and where do we live in a spirit of limita- limitation? This is the primary concern of this teaching. To look into question, to explore with courage, not to worry, not to concern ourselves with our images or our conclusions or our busyness that is born of them. The greatest difficulty with experience is the addiction that is formed around it. We want certain kinds of experiences. 
We want the continuity of certain kinds of experiences because they seem to be the most direct path of gaining an identity which is flattering. That is the source of addiction. The other problem with this addiction, of course, is the loss of experience because we always lose them. And this is a problem to us when there is clinging. Loss is always a problem when there is clinging. We see that peace turns to confusion, alas, alack. Harmony turns to negativity. We just think we got to connectedness and we have a moment of separation. We just think we finally arrived at calmness and we are assaulted by a mind storm. We are always losing them. This is such a major teaching and such a hard lesson to learn. We think, what have I done wrong? I must have done something wrong. You know, I must have dozed off for just a moment, spaced out for just a breath, and I lost it all. (laughs) In the blink of an eye, there went calm. It is a problem to us because when we lose an experience that we are attached to, of course, we feel that we are losing an integral part of ourselves. We begin then to pursue, to try and retrieve that which we feel we have lost. This is a way of living in which we are imprisoned by experiences, imprisoned by what has gone by and our desire to repeat them. It is living in what is past and a loss of innocence. In a way often where we define ourselves by limitation, it's also a way of living in a living in a state of hunger and wanting, thinking that the only way that we can find validity and worth in our lives is through contact with an experience that we consider to be worthy. Where is the freedom in all of this? It is time, many time, past time, to learn the wisdom of letting go. Sometimes it happens that people come on retreat, And on the very first day, the thought comes up, how am I going to maintain this when I leave? Sometimes this arises in the first sitting. What are we trying to maintain? A particular kind of experience. Do we intend to go through life with a zafu strapped to our backs? (laughs) This is not living in a meditative spirit. What are we trying to maintain? What has already gone by? Does insight actually need maintaining? Or does it need living? This is a fairly important question. Do we need to maintain insight or do we need to live it? It does happen in many people's experience that retreats are left and they feel that they lost it all on the train to New York or, you know, on the flight to Milwaukee. My insight went out the window. (laughs) You think, I used to be so happy. I was so calm at IMS. I was so content. I thought it was forever. I got back and it all fell apart. I lost it all on the way home. (laughs) Is wisdom geographical? (laughs) 
We could create new bumper stickers. Massachusetts, the home of wisdom. You actually cannot lose insight. What often is lost is a passion for freedom. That is often what we lose, is a passion for freedom. You come on retreats, you know, and I think it is miraculous, actually, that in a few days a remarkable transformation can happen in our consciousness. That even, you know, amidst the storms and amidst the crises and amidst the chaos, we begin to discover something very important. We begin to discover a sense of possibility, a sense of what is really possible for us as human beings. We begin to discover the joy, actually, of being aware. Even if we are aware of things that are difficult, there is something so preferable to being awake than to being numb. We discover what it means, actually, to be at home, to be at home within ourselves, to have that sense of connectedness. And that connectedness reawakens within us a sense of passion. We think, yes, this is home. This is where I want to be. There is a sense of something so authentic about being so established within awareness and accommodating and receiving and connected. We awaken in that, actually, a love of freedom, a love of being alive, a love of being conscious. This is what coming home is about. And pain is actually the experience of homelessness, of being separated from that which we love. Pain is actually the nature of separation. Separation is the nature of pain. To be separated from that which is authentic and that which is true is to live within the realm of what is painful. Now, why do we experience that sense of loss? How is it that we come to lose touch with that, that sense of passion? We see here the remarkable energy, the remarkable commitment we offer to ourselves and to being awake. And it that does bring about transformation. We really begin to understand on a moment-to-moment level what it means to live in a meditative spirit. But... It are times, for sure, when we are disconnected from that. One reason that we lose that connection, that passion for freedom, is through the addiction to pleasure. We cannot ignore the power of that. Pleasure represents many things to us and is represented in many things. Pleasure is equated with security and safety, identity, 
continuity. Pleasure is the lifeblood of the self. It is what sustains separation, not addiction. It is not to imply that it is better to pursue pain. It comes to us. It is to appreciate the effect of being addicted to pleasure. Self, which manifests ignorance, thrives upon, craves, and rests upon this pursuit of pleasure. And it is easy in dedicating our lives to the pursuit of the pleasant sensation to be equally a casualty of the unpleasant. Pleasure supports the self. The unpleasant sensation threatens the self. The addiction to to pleasure means to be lost in a world of dualities and hierarchies, lost in pursuit and avoidance, in seeking safety and feeling endlessly insecure, in living in a frantic, almost a desperate way, searching and craving and wanting. The addiction to pleasure means that we divide and separate the inner and the outer world into a world of allies and opponents. The opponents are all of those things, inwardly and outwardly, that challenge us and threaten us, that threaten to deprive us of safety, of identity, of security and pleasure. The allies that we label in our inner and outer world are all of those things that seem to offer us enhancement and fulfillment, to be able to satisfy our needs for safety and comfort. In this world of allies and opponents, we live always on edge because we can't control it. It's the bottom line. We can't control the allies and the opponents in our world. This is the basis of struggle. When we're not looking out, that's the moment that our opponents seem to pop up. When we need our allies, that seems to be the moment that we can't get them. There's such a tremendous fragility It's a tremendous insecurity in living in this world of allies and opponents. It's a tenuous sense of safety and a tenuous sense of self. And because it is so tenuous, that is why we're so busy. That's what makes busyness. You know, busyness is not something that has a momentum of its own. No one's born busy, you know. You know, it's not, it's not like a, a terminal case, you know, that you can fix. Busyness has a fuel, the fuel of fear. The fear that gets manifested as we try to avoid our opponents and to contact our allies. It means a whirlwind in the consciousness. It means a whirlwind in our lives of doing and becoming, of securing the perimeters of our world as we try to protect ourselves. It is a busyness that is created out of our addiction to pleasure. And our addiction to pleasure is created out of our addiction to self. It is a way of creating a world of great sorrow and confusion and suffering. It is difficult to live in a spirit of freedom when we're always caught in avoidance and pursuit. It is hard to see emptiness within the world when we invest it with the power to please us or to threaten us. It is hard to see transparency in the world when we have divided it into the camps of the opponents and the allies. 
Instead, we become captive of those things that we have invested power in them, invested power in, whether it's pleasure or pain. It is difficult to live in a spirit of freedom when our sense of, of, of home, our sense of who we are, is reliant upon the objects we are in contact with. Instead, we live in exile. Exiled from being by need and by craving and by fear. I'd like to read you a poem by Lao Tzu. If a person is crossing a river and an empty boat collides with their own skiff, even though if they were a very bad-tempered person, they would not become very angry. But if they see someone else in the boat, they will shout at them to steer clear. And if the shout's not heard, they will shout again and yet again and begin cursing. And all because there is somebody in the boat. Yet if the boat were empty, they would not be shouting and not angry. If you can empty your own boat crossing the river of the world, no one will oppose you and no one will seek to harm you. What uh, we do much in a retreat is actually to learn to stop shouting at ourselves and to stop shouting at the world. This is actually a lot of what we do here. This teaching is about learning how to rest in awareness, in allowing in trust. Awareness that is our true home. Awareness that is spacious and vast and enough to embrace the arising and passing of every single phenomena in the world, in the universe. It is a radical leap of trust to rest within that seeing. So often we have come to think of home as being in, able to say, I am, I have, I will become, I need, I know. But this is not home. None of these things offer us a true home. It is like carrying around an empty shell that we have created through fear and through grasping and trying to hide within it. It is like living within a sandcastle that will always be eroded. We learn in stopping shouting how to allow things to be, not to believe, not to subscribe in the judgments or in the conclusions to see and to appreciate the power of that seeing, the way it connects us truly with a meditative spirit, the wisdom of uncertainty, the wisdom of not knowing, the wisdom of non-definition. Living in it with a meditative spirit has much to do with our willingness to let go, to know the freedom of non-dwelling, of non-grasping, of non-holding, it liberates all things. This is the beauty of it. Not holding to any judgment and any conclusion. It liberates not only ourselves, but it liberates all things. How many things and people in our world we have compartmentalized into the boxes of our judgments and our conclusions not allowing them to change, not allowing them to grow, not allowing them for, tr for transformation. 
because that threatens too much our judgments. To cultivate non-dwelling is a way of liberating the world, a way of liberating not only ourselves but all things. <clears throat> the Buddha used the word akinshana. Akinshana translated is an incredibly long translation for one word. It means one who wants nothing, who rests upon nothing, who clings to nothing, who needs nothing, who denies nothing, and who is nothing. It seems like a lot of nothings. You think, well, with all those nothings, what's left after all those nothings? If we take away becoming and having and wanting, sometimes we're afraid of this great hole that opens up, this great fear of nothingness. But taking away holding, resistance, and clinging is actually not negation. Is what, if that letting go allows the flowering of awareness, awakening, and trust. Another factor which inhibits living with a meditative spirit, a spirit of freedom, is the factor of habit. Not just the habit of our routines or our actions in the day that satisfy our need for continuity and predictability. There's another level of habit, which is about image. The habits of our images that we have about other people, that we have about ourselves, that we can say, I know who you are. I know who I am. I know who I am by my judgments. There is another lethal habit, another lethal level of habit, and that is the habit of limitation. That is actually the habit of limitation. When we say, I am, we are practicing the habit of limitation. When we say, I can't, we are expressing the habit of limitation. When we say, I must have, I need, I want, we are expressing the habit of limitation. When we say that I will feel I will surely fall apart if this doesn't happen, we are expressing the habit of limitation. The words we use to conclude and to define ourselves, in a way they are a surrender to limitation. Now in a retreat, we are invited to let go of this habit, to let go of this habit of limitation, to explore again and again what is possible for us. But it's a very subtle habit. We are not always aware that we have it. When we see the ways in which we retreat from possibilities, the ways in which we find to numb out, the ways in which we are at times reluctant to upset our sense of order, the ways in which we want to close down or to seek for what is easier, then we are encountering how very subtle and how very powerful the habit of limitation is. 
when we want to stay with what we know and what is what, with what is familiar. The habit of limitation, it is practiced through time and it is given solidity through clinging, through personal history. I used to be this. It is what made me what I am now. What I am now is translated into the idea of what I need to become. Habit is given solidity through fear, through the fear of letting go. We need to see that this moment is the next moment's personal history. The choices we make in this moment, the avenues we follow, that is the next moment's personal history. Transformation has nothing to do with feeling better about what has gone by necessarily or in redefining the past. Transformation has to do with knowing ourselves in a way we have never known ourselves before. That is only possible through openness, through letting go, through the willingness and the courage to step beyond the boundaries of what we do know. As we wonder, well, you know, we come to meditation for different reasons. Sometimes we say, you know, I'm not interested in freedom. I've got to do this first. We make a long list sometimes of what we want out of meditation. And they're good lists. You know, we want calmness and clarity and compassion and sensitivity. We want to end sorrow. It's wonderful lists. But rarely, I mean, does it ever come into your mind to say, What I am here for in this moment is to be awake, is to be liberated, to be enlightened. So we don't, this doesn't even occur to us. We think other people get enlightened, you know. You know, Buddhists get enlightened, you know. I don't look like the kind of person who gets enlightened, you know. Enlightened people look sort of like saints. They have shaved heads or they wear uniforms, you know. Or people in the past did that, but not now. In the West, we have a great danger of surrendering the very notion of the possibility of enlightenment because we become so obsessed with perfection. In the West, we have this very odd set of priorities, it seems. We think that personal perfection is a prerequisite to enlightenment. It is not. It is not. We think first, maybe I have to work things out to make myself acceptable, to prove that I'm worthy of enlightenment. I've got other things to do other than be enlightened. Other things are right here, you know, this kind of mind and this kind of body. You know, and if I have time left in this life, maybe then. What happens? What would happen? What difference would it make? If we were actually to take the step of really being willing to abandon those notions of working things out, of becoming perfect, of getting better, of improving, what would happen if we were actually to take the step simply to commit ourselves wholeheartedly to understanding what it means to be free, to live in a spirit of freedom, to live with a meditative spirit. The mental states, the wandering mind, the thoughts, the images, they come and they go. They come and go in the vastness of awareness. 
Awareness has no preferences. Awareness has no agendas. This is something else we bring in. To befriend, to understand the nature of that awareness that has no mission to judge, to get rid of anything or to work anything out, to commit ourselves to being free in this moment. It would make for a very interesting retreat to renew that commitment again and again in every sitting, in every walking, in every moment, to begin to understand what it really means to live in a spirit of freedom, of not dwelling anywhere, not clinging anywhere, not defining anywhere. It has nothing to do with sitting on a cushion, nothing to do with being here, nothing to do with being somewhere else. There is no boundary around that commitment. Passion is something different than intensity. Intensity is about goals. Intensity is about destination. Intensity is about the future. Intensity is about arriving somewhere that is not present right now. Passion has to do with our relationship to this moment, to how wholeheartedly we listen and feel and open, to how much we love and honor being present and being awake above all else because this loving and honoring of being awake and present above all else. That is what it means to live in a spirit of freedom. May all beings rest within awareness. May all beings rest within wisdom. May all beings Awaken to what is true. If we could have just two minutes quietly together, then we'll have a break. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.